0: Good morning, church. Again, thank you for joining us at home, online, wherever you are, around the country, around the world. We're glad that you're tuning in with us this morning. Uh, this, we've, we've left Genesis. We were in Genesis for a long time. And so for the next couple weeks, we want to um, have a two-part sermon series called Racism and the Gospel. Racism and the Gospel. So this week... I I will be kicking things off and then next week Akin Omisami, our pastoral intern, he's going to to preach to us the second in this two-part series. We believe that the uh, situation of the of society that we're in, the current state that we are in demands that we talk about it. You say, well, Brady, are you just aren't you is this just a reaction? Are you just reacting? And my answer is yes, yes we are, and rightly so. I'm taking a page out of the Apostle Paul's playbook, who when he wrote letters to the churches, he wrote them in response or as a a reaction to the situations that they faced. And this is, what we are walking through today is something that the church is walking through. Not just our culture, not just our society, not just our government, but the church itself is and should be walking through this and walking through this together. And so today I want to talk to you about the gospel's cure for racism. The gospel's cure for racism. I don't know if you remember the TV show Lost. Uh, I was a fan. Uh, It's one of those TV shows that you either loved it or you hated it. So I admit that right from the start. And a lot of you maybe never saw it. But it was a TV show about uh, oceanic flight, 815 I think it was, and it crashes on this strange deserted island, supposedly deserted, and the survivors now have to learn how to survive. But early on in the series, early on in the show, uh, they come to realize that there's another group of people on the island that have been there for a long time. And they are referred to as the Others, And so for the next five seasons of Lost, dozens of episodes, it is our, you know, our heroes, so to speak, the ones that were on the original flight, trying to overcome the others. The others. And I've often wondered as I watch the show, what if the show had been written or produced only from the perspective of the others? What if we just saw everything from their point of view? Would they have been the heroes? And would these strangers who crash-landed on their island have been the bad guys? You see, this is, this is what we do. James alluded to it a minute ago when he was talking. We build walls. We create others. Everyone is other than me. So whether it's race or gender or uh, socioeconomic wealth or politics We we thrive, we find ourselves, we find our identity, our glory, as we're going to see when we get into John, we find these things from labeling others as the others, as other, as not like me, as different from me. Pastor Mark said last week that God can do good from this, that God can use all things for good. And he, he said, maybe one of the good things that will come from racism is that our hearts are ripped open by it and exposed to it, and that we are changed, that the eyes of our hearts are opened. Has your heart been breaking this week? Has your heart been breaking? Or have you, do you have reasons or excuses Or political statements? Have you made statements on social media of sympathy and empathy? Or have you posted another video that proves your point? Has your heart been broken this week? I will confess to you that, and and I would hope that all of us can confess, that I have racism in my heart. Just to give you a little bit of my background, I grew up in a white bubble. So I, I went to a church. I grew up in a church in northern New Jersey, which was culturally diverse, but the church I went to, I don't remember there being any black families in that church. I went to a Christian school, a small Christian school, where I think maybe we had two black students in our Christian school. One of them was in my class, Allison was her name. I was friends with Allison. But as I look back on it, I realize that um, I think we were, okay. we were okay with black people as long as black people acted like white people. As long as look like me, talk like me. And we actually would make jokes about that as, as an elementary student and a middle schooler. When I was in high school, my family moved and we moved to upstate New York And again, I went to a church where, as far as I remember, I do not remember any black families in that church. Um, And I went to another Christian high school, small Christian high school, maybe 200 students in the whole high school, and one black student in our school. Again, in my class. From there, I went to Bible college in Pennsylvania, a tiny little Bible college, Maybe 600 students in the whole college, and maybe 10 or less African-American students on that campus. And then I got a job teaching school at Capital Christian Academy in Largo, Maryland. So I went (laughs) from—those of you who know this area know why that's funny— Um, I went from my white bubble into Prince George's County, teaching in a school that was 95% African American. Uh, Joy and I's first apartment in Maryland was in Forestville, Maryland. I, I kid you not, in our whole apartment complex, I think there was us and one other white family in that whole complex of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families. So clearly, I'm not a racist because I moved into the black community, right? That proves that I did not harbor racism in my heart. But again, as I look back over the past 30 years and as I look back over what brought me into Maryland, what brought me into Prince George's County, I got to be honest, a lot of it was some sort of savior complex, like that I, that I had answers For a community, just simply because I was white. And by God's grace only, I mean, I was thinking about this this week where would I be without the grace of God on this whole issue? By God's grace, uh, I mean, when I, I just remember teaching at that school now with. Christians who, you know, black Christian brothers and sisters who loved the Lord and loved Jesus. And you know who else they loved? They loved me. They loved me. And I began to learn I'm not better than them. I'm not superior to them. I'm not a better Christian than them. In fact, they're doing more for the cause of Christ. They're loving better than I was. And so over 30 years, God has peeled away this, this racist onion in my life, peeled it back, peeled it back, and I do not stand in front of you. I, I'm the last person who should be talking about what we're talking about this morning. I admit that, and uh, I, I, I am not done growing in this area. I confess that. I confess that uh, racist attitudes and thoughts, attitudes of superiority, and if not racist, then any otherliness— I have a lot of otherliness in me where I want to make people be other than me and therefore I am better. I have a lot of that in my life and in my heart. Listen, I get it. This is a tough topic. It's a difficult topic. Like I said on Wednesday night at our prayer meeting, this is an uncomfortable topic and I just want to say to you, church, let's dive in. Let's jump in with both feet and embrace the difficulty of it. <laughs> Embrace that we are all uncomfortable with it. I confess to you that one of the biggest sins in my, in my ministry career, you know, 13 years of being your pastor, one of my biggest sins is that I have not talked about this topic enough. I have discipled people about lust. I have discipled people about greed. I have discipled people in their marriages. I have discipled people in every area. I have yet to On purpose, intentionally, disciple people about racism. So may it begin now. May God forgive me. May you forgive me. May it begin now. May the conversation begin now. And may it not end now. May it continue beyond this. Point number one the evil of racism. The evil of racism. Let's talk about why racism is evil. First of all, because racism violates God's creation. So Genesis 1, you guys know this. A lot of you you are familiar with Genesis 1. We quote Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, around here a lot, that we are made in the image of God, that we, that we all carry the Imago Dei. So this is our theological reason for why all humans have dignity and why racism is bad. But also, we can look at the biological reasons. And we, we look at a scripture like Acts 17, 26, where Paul, in Athens, Greece, is actually confronting a bunch of racists. The men of Athens actually believed that they were born out of the dirt of Athens, that they literally were created from that dirt, and therefore they were superior to all other races of mankind. Everybody else was a barbarian. And so Paul's response to that is informative for us. It teaches us. And he says this. He says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That first part of this verse, God has made from one man every nation, and so, biblically, some of this is going to be like a little bit, a little hard for you. Others are going to say amen. But biblically, we believe that the Bible teaches that there actually is only one race, the human race. That we all come from Adam. That we all are the offspring of Adam. And that the differences we see, the biological differences that we see in one another, are actually quite minimal and superficial. Minimal and superficial. Now, having said that, race, there are not many races. We could, we could say it like this. Racism is not a thing. I'm, I'm sorry, race is not a thing, but racism is a thing. You see, racism was invented, it was created out of the sinful hearts of man out of the greed of man, out of the superiority of man, out of the glory-seeking of man, the sin of man, in order to keep people separated and keep the haves being the haves and the have-nots being the have-nots. And so we can look through history, we can even look at Scripture. Racism was invented by us in order to keep people separated. And why do I need to keep people separated? So that I can live the kind of life that I want to live. So, for example, in America, in American history, uh, back in the 1600s, people came up with racist teachings and racist ideas in order to show, oh, there are two different races. There's a black race and there's a white race, and the black race is inferior to the white race. And so, therefore, to enslave them is a good thing. We're helping them. We can Christianize them, and yet at the same time, we can keep them enslaved and feel good about it because obviously they are inferior, and they, and they twisted and distorted texts from the Bible, like te- texts in Genesis, and even the text I just read to you, Acts seventeen twenty six, became distorted in order to promote racism. And so this is where we are today. We are, we are a racially divided society in, in many, many ways. And a lot of that guilt, uh, honestly, a a lot of that falls upon Christians, white Christians, the church. The church signed the permission slip for slavery 400 years ago. And so, understanding this, that theologically, biologically, we're all the same race, but understanding that sociologically, there is such a thing as racism, and as the church, we need to confront it. So number one, it violates God's creation. Number two, it violates God's justice. Racism violates God's justice. Whether it's Jeremiah 5 or Amos 5 or Isaiah, really the whole book, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 58, Mary's Magnificat, we know that God is a God of justice and righteousness, what we mean by that is, is that God is all about lifting people up. Lift, that's what justice means, right? If righteousness is a standard, then justice is when we lift people up. We do justice when we lift people up, right? So, so we're not holding people down, we're not oppressing people, we're not enslaving people, we're, we're not uh, keeping people from being able to get a, a good education or get, the, or get jobs or or whatever it might be. We are using all, everything at our disposal to lift people up. And so God is a God of justice. And, and we call it restorative justice. Often you've heard me talk about restorative justice. God wants to restore both the victim and the victimizer, the oppressor. God God loves everybody. God wants to see everybody be lifted up to a place where we are worshiping God, loving God, and loving one another. And that's what Christ allows us to do. And so, racism also violates Christ. Racism violates Christ. And I say it that way to to show you not just the teachings of Christ. Racism doesn't just violate the teachings of of Jesus, the historic Jesus. Racism violates the whole concept of Christ. Start with the incarnation, the incarnation of Christ. God, so Jesus, the eternal son, Jesus, the second uh, person of the Godhead, comes to earth, taking on flesh, becoming a human and in that single act in that single person he is able to represent all of humanity right his death on the cross is not just his death for the jewish people it is the death for all of humanity well what does that tell us that tells us that in christ is all of humanity in a single man is all of humanity so that tells us that to separate mankind out into different races and then to exalt one or 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 lower one that violates Christ it violates the whole concept of the incarnation it also violates the salvation of Christ the reconciliation that the work of the cross has done you see the cross of Jesus Christ has not just worked out our forgiveness it has And that's awesome, and that's, you know, step one. But the cross of Christ has also worked out the reconciliation and the restoration of all things, including all of humanity. So the passage that that James read a little bit ago from Ephesians 2, where Paul says that we are all one new man, that this is the work of the cross, the cross salvation. See, listen, when you were saved... Christian, I don't know if you realize this, when you were saved, you were saved not just from sin, but you were saved into a new humanity, a new creation, a new community, a new family, the family of God. And so this is the work of salvation in humanity and in our lives. The cross is making it possible for us to be restored to not just God, but to one another. And so here's our lesson from point number one. We must condemn racism in all of its forms as oppositional to God and his church. We must condemn racism in all of its forms as oppositional to God and to Christ and to his church. Christian, that is our job. That is our calling. Now, we might disagree. There's you know, 650 people at Grace Baptist Church. There's gonna be 650 ideas on how to oppose racism. I get that. I get that. But at the very least, can we agree? I, and I know we do. I know we do. Nothing I've said so far has been too super controversial. We all know racism's a sin. God reveal it in our hearts. Number 2. The cause of racism. Why 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 otherliness? Why the others? Why racism? Why why do we see ourselves a certain way and other people as less than that way? Well, obviously, it all goes back to sin. It all goes back to Genesis 3 and in the garden. And we go back there a lot, but let's go back there again. Let's time travel back. Adam and Eve in the garden. They're in the center of the garden. There's two trees. There's a tree that God has called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a tree that God has called the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a tree that literally... Uh, created in them a, an entire system of how to live. A system of thought, a system of knowledge that says, I can figure out what is good and what is wrong, and I will earn my way through that. I, through the knowledge of this, I will become good. I will conquer evil with my personal good. And that tree was death. And that tree was, that, that tree was false worship. The other tree, the tree of life, said, look... God said, look, I'm offering you life, love, for free. Just take it, just eat. Nothing Nothing to learn, no hoops to jump through, no ladder to climb, no figuring it all out. Just grace, pure and simple grace offered to all who would receive it. You see, racism is us eating from this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's us saying, I got to figure out me. I got to figure out what makes me justifiable, what makes me valuable, what makes me worthy of being alive. See, in John chapter 17, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, we just heard it read to us. In John chapter 17, Jesus offers us the solution. Four times in that passage that you just heard, John 17, he's he's praying to the Father that we would be one, that we would be one, that we would be one, that we would be one. one. And and in his prayer, he presents the solution. In presenting the solution, we can glean the problem, right? When we look at what the cure is, we can figure out what the disease is, okay? So in John 17... Oh, uh, I'm skipping... Racism is caused by sin in us. Okay, so in John 17, Christ is exposing the sin in us, our emptiness and our fear. Our emptiness and our fear. Christ is exposing the sin that is inside every single one of us, emptiness and fear. So in John 17, he prays this way. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. And by we, he means the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. So what, what creates the oneness? What creates the union? What allows us to reject otherliness and say, no, we can all be one? The answer is glory. Do you see? In John 17, he prays that we... Would receive from him glory. Okay, that's that's a big concept. I get it, but here's here's how it works. All of us want glory. All of us want weightiness or meaning or purpose or significance in life, don't we? Don't deny it. You want it. I want it. We all do. Like I said, we all want to be, I I prayed earlier, we all want to be applauded. We all want to be right. We all want our knowledge of good and evil to be better than your knowledge of good and evil. We're all seeking this glory. We're all seeking this glory. But everything in this life, and especially race, racism, which isn't even really a thing. Race isn't even really a thing. When we start saying, oh, this is my identity. This is what makes me better. Or let's go a step further. My culture makes me better, or or my background makes me better, or my money makes me better, or my politics make me better. All of those are just an attempt to snatch up glory, and to be able to show that I am better. I'm I'm better. I'm worthy. I deserve a voice. I deserve. You know, my opinion is is more important than yours. And, the church, and church, we are not immune to this. Trust me. I've been looking at your social media all week. It's all just glory grabs. It's all just glory grabs. Why is it when, when somebody says black lives matter and you immediately have to say, no, all lives matter. What, are you, what is that? What is that? It's a glory grab. It's you saying, no, I know better than you. I have information that you don't have. I really understand what's going on and you don't. When you say, I don't see how anybody could support President Trump. I don't see how anybody could listen to him. What is that? That's a glory grab. That's you saying, I have knowledge beyond your knowledge. I have understanding beyond your understanding. And I cannot understand, I cannot fathom how anybody would support him and what he stands for. You see, all all of that is the wrong tree. All of that is wanting glory. Jesus also prays this way, John 17, 26. He doesn't just pray for our glory, he prays for love. That the love with which you have loved me may, may be in them, and I in them. You see, why, why do we meet hate with hate? Why do we meet violence with violence? Why do we have to, why do we have to go out and, and And declare that our way is the only way? Fear. Fear. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of losing our identity. We're afraid of losing power. Honestly, we're afraid of losing power. We're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of losing our country or losing our church. Losing our rights. It's all just socialism. You're going to take all our rights away. Law and order. We're going to lose our comforts and security. It's all just fear. Can you see that it's all just fear? And, And what's the cure for fear? Love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So what does Jesus pray for us? He prays that we would have glory, and he prays that we would have love. Why? Because he knows that the two, the two things that will keep us divided are when we feel like we've got to grab our own glory and when fear takes over. When fear takes over. The cure, the glory of God, and the love of God. When you know that you have those, it will begin to melt your heart. It'll begin to break your heart. You'll stop self-protecting. And you'll just care about your brother and your sister. Racism isn't just in our hearts. Racism is caused by the sin in us. That was the first thing I said. Racism is caused by the sin in us. But racism is also caused by sin in the system. Here's where I might lose some of you, and I admit that. Is there systemic injustice? Is there systemic racism? I would argue yes. I would argue yes, of course there is. It's, this is not just a problem of, of human hearts and dealing with human hearts. Obviously, that's a huge part of it, and we got to do that, and we got to meet each other, and we gotta, we got to speak into each other's hearts. But we should also understand that we live in what Jesus calls the world. Okay? So here in John 17, we don't get a lot of it, but in John 17, verse 18, this is how he started. He said, As you sent me into the world, I, so I have sent them into the world. A couple of verses earlier, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. The world, the cosmos. What is the cosmos? What is the world that John is talking about? It's all over John's gospel, by the way. This word cosmos, this word world. You know it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, the cosmos. God loves the world. But John 12 and John 16 both say that Satan is the ruler of the world. John 5 says that the world is anti-God. It's anti-light. It is darkness. 1 John chapter 2 says... That the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In Galatians and in Colossians, Paul talks about the elementary principles of the world and how we need to not follow them. What does all that mean? It's the tree. It's the tree. The world's system. We live in a system controlled by the devil that that continually wants us to eat from this tree, the tree that says, I can figure it out. My way is better. My agenda is right. I I am acceptable because I have done these things. I'm, I'm the one who's woke. I'm the one who knows what's going on. I have the answers. And so as we embrace that system, it changes our hearts, but that system is there. And I think, that, I think that we are foolish if we do not understand that in place on this planet is a world's system and that the, all of the systems, educational systems, governmental systems, societal systems, that all of those systems plug into that system. So, is there systemic sin? Yeah. Yeah. Is there systemic injustice? Yes. Is there systemic racism? No doubt. I think the evidence is overwhelming to argue for these, and I think that the biblical evidence is overwhelming to argue that we all live within this dark system and that. Any way of fixing things that is devoid of the grace of God is part of that system. It's part of that system. Law and order, it's part of that system. But so is no justice, no peace. That's, part of the, it's all, that's actually kind of all the same system. It's all us saying you, you know, that, that we can all kind of solve these problems by overruling the other person instead of coming together, coming together. Glory, love from God. So our lesson, our lesson is that we are called to confront the sin in our hearts and the sinful systems around us. We are called to confront both the sin in our hearts and in the sinful systems around us. The cure for racism. Number three. The cure for racism. Okay, Brady, what do we do? And I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to, because next week uh, we'll go into more of some of our responses and, and what should we do as a church and what do I do as an individual. So I don't want to go too deep into this. Um, but I want to introduce us today to some of the, the gospel concepts that are the cure for racism. Remember that that's the title of the sermon, The Gospel's Cure for Racism. So, first of all, the power of the gospel. We already started talking about this. See, the gospel says two things, and we've said this a million times. The gospel says that we are more wicked than we ever imagined. And at the same time, we are more loved than we ever hoped. See, that's what the cross proves. Think about the cross. What does the cross tell us? The cross tells us that we are all equally wicked. Everybody needs the cross. Every race needs the cross. Every nation needs the cross. Every ethnos needs the cross. Every tribe needs the cross. Every person needs the cross. Why? Why do we need the cross? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we're all sinners. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so we all stand condemned. We all stand guilty. None of us, none of us, no no matter which side of all this we are on, apart from Jesus Christ... You will, you will stand in front of God one day, and you will not be able to say, here's why, here's why I deserve to live forever. Here's why I deserve to live with the holy God. You know why? Because I marched. You know why? Because I was in law enforcement. You know why? Because I voted for Trump. You know why? Because I voted against that Trump None of us will stand in front of God and give that reason. We might try to give that reason. We might try to give that as our answer for why we deserve. But don't you see? All of them are connected to me grabbing my own glory. None of them are about the glory of God. None of them were about worshiping God, loving God, and trusting God's plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. None of that is that, is, is that, the thing that will save us. We're all wicked. We're all going to stand condemned in front of the throne of God. But at the same time, the cross isn't all bad news, is it? (laughs) Praise God. It's actually good news. It's actually really, really the best news that on that cross, the God-man died for you. He took your place. You see, he took your place. And in taking your place, what what is he doing? He's condemning all your works of righteousness He's condemning all of, all of the social justice that you've done. He's condemning all of your self-efforts. He's condemning all of your um, conservatism and all of your liberalism. He's condemning it all, and he's saying, you need my life. You, nothing you do is nothing you do is, is not a grasp for glory. Nothing you do is out of love. We don't do any of it from love. We don't do any of it from pure love. We are all condemned. We have not loved God. We have not loved neighbor. And so Jesus came, and what did he do? He lived 33 years perfectly loving God and perfectly loving neighbor. And you know who his neighbor was? Even his enemy. Even his enemy. Jesus loved everybody, and he loved everybody perfectly. And yet... He was crucified, and yet he was condemned, and yet he was accused, and he lost his bogus trial, and they put him on a cross, and they killed him, they suffocated him to death, and they killed him on a cross. And do you know why Jesus did that? Why did Jesus allow himself to do that? He could have walked away. He could have called, he said himself, I could call 10,000 angels, and they'd all be here, and this would be over in a second. Nobody takes my life, he said. Nobody takes my life. I give it freely. He gave his life so that he could die in our place as our substitute. And what does that give us in return? Like we said, the cross gives us forgiveness of sin. When we claim Christ, we get forgiveness of sin. But you know what else we get? We get life. We get glory. We get love. We get all of Christ's glory, all of Christ's love, and it fills our hearts and it overwhelms our hearts so that all we're left with, the only thing left, if we'll let it, the only thing, the only thing that's left, it'll melt away all the self-righteousness. It'll melt away all the self-justification. It'll melt away all the, the other, you know, you've got to be an other so that I feel good about me. It's going to melt all that away and it's going to leave behind love. Love. Now we can love God. Now we can love each other. Now we can be one. Now we can be one. You see John 17:23 Jesus says it this way. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one. What brings unity? What melts away racism? What melts away all of our otherlinesses? <laughs> I don't know what the word is. Our othernesses? <laughs> what melts it all away? Glory and love. We already said that glory and love. But where does that come from? Christ. The presence of Christ. I and them, you and me, Christ in us, so that they may become perfectly one. So let me ask you again. This past week, how how much time are you spending in the presence of Christ, soaking in His glory and love, receiving undeserved glory and love? Are you doing that before you post on Facebook, on social media? Are you doing that before you're yelling at your TV screen? Are you doing that before you're you're judging others who have a different point of view or a different way? Are you doing that before you're posting that video that, frankly, is quite insensitive? Are you actually just being in the presence of Christ and just letting his life, his love, overwhelm you. Because that's the cure. That's the cure. I in them, you, Father, in, in me, Jesus, I in them, that they may be one. Perfectly one. Jesus taught this to us. He spent time with others, didn't he? I want you to think about this for just a second. Uh, We're we're getting almost done. Think about Jesus' life. Who did Jesus, literally, his physical life, 33 years on, whatever, 30-something years on the planet, who did he spend time with? Was it only people that were like him? Was it only other Jews? Didn't Jesus go out of his way to go through samaria Didn't Jesus spend several days in a Samaritan community Didn't Jesus heal a Samaritan leper Didn't Jesus heal a Roman centurion's servant and then declare that that centurion had greater faith than anyone in Israel Didn't Jesus heal a Canaanite woman's daughter Was it not another centurion who was the first to turn his life to Christ as Christ gave up the Spirit? Was it not a centurion, a a Roman centurion, that said, surely this was the Son of God? Did not Christ commission his disciples to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every ethnos, every ethnicity, Every tribe, every tongue, and did he not empower us by his spirit to do this? And what is that power? Is it just speaking in tongues? Is it just Acts 2? We all speak in tongues, so now we can all go out and talk to a bunch of different people who speak different languages? No, that is not the enduring power of the Holy Spirit that we have inside us that allows us to cross barriers and tear down walls. It is the power of love. It is the power of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And So here is our lesson, our final lesson. It is Christ's presence with us and our presence with others that will change our hearts and really change other people's hearts. Arg- arguments on social media is not going to change anybody's heart. I promise you, it will, it will, not only will it not change a heart, it will harden a heart. What will change a heart is presence, actual presence, being with. Christ knew this. Jesus knew this. That's what the incarnation is. He came to be present with us, to change us. That's what the Holy Spirit is, God's presence with us, to change us. Why do we think now that it's any different for how we act as the body? Why do we think it's any different now for how we respond to our communities and to society? What's going to change is presence. Being with, listening, understanding, asking questions. I get it. I get it. Maybe, maybe you're listening to me and you're black and you're saying, I'm tired of everybody asking me questions. I'm tired of everybody wanting to hear about my black experience. Have patience with us. Have patience with us. Maybe you're a white person going, I don't even think, all this is bogus. There is no such thing as racism. It's all just, the media just makes all this up. Brady, you're being duped. I don't know. Maybe I am. But none of that negates our calling in Christ to be with each other and to love each other and to understand each other and to bear one another's burdens. It doesn't negate any of that, does it? Even if I'm wrong, it doesn't negate any of that. So, will you let the gospel drain you of your self-righteous grabs for glory and fear? Will you let the gospel drain that out of you, melt that out of you? Will you allow the gospel to fill you with genuine love? Will you spend time with Christ today? Will you let the love of Christ overwhelm you? will you let the love of Christ and the glory of Christ be all that your heart needs and then will you spend time with others remember remember like lost others will you spend time with people who aren't like you will you reach out will you let other people reach out be intentional have conversations care be concerned Weep with those who weep, church. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask today that you would cure our hearts. We know that you are, that you would cure our hearts of the sin, the sins that would separate us, the sinful mindsets that would keep us divided. God, may we confess racist attitudes and actions and mindsets. God, may anybody who's in the sound of my voice who's saying, I'm not a racist, I do not have that problem. God, would you show them that that's just not true? God, maybe it's some other, uh, other way that we're dividing. Maybe it's over gender, or maybe it's over, most likely it's over politics. But God, I pray that you would also show us that you have torn down every wall. You have removed every barrier to yourself. And as we are all journeying towards you, our common goal, may our paths slowly, slowly but surely converge upon one another. Jesus, you are the only path to God. And so what that tells us is that every Christian should be on that same path. The path of your grace the path of your glory, the path of your love, a love even for an enemy. God, turn enemies into friends, turn friends into brothers and sisters. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.